Hi. Welcome to the first Bangladeshi podcast where we have renowned guests from all over the world. I'll talk about business, politics, tech, and everything else that's trending worldwide. I'm your host Rafi and let's get this show started. In this episode, we have with us Dr. Jay Allen from Orlando, USA. He's the founder of Safety FM, human and organizations consultant, and a whole lot more. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Allen. Before we dive into details, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? Well, Rafi, I'm actually a human and organizational consultant. Um, you've already kind of already covered that I'm in based out of Florida. And I, I mean, realistically, what I really enjoy doing is being able to do interviews, but it's kind of normally the other way around, where I'm interviewing people, not people interviewing me. So I'm, I'm ready for the experience today. Right. I've actually heard a few of your recent episodes and the production is really well done, if I might say. Oh, thank you. So uh, let's start with the obvious question first. Uh, you're the founder of Safety FM. So what is Safety FM and what's your aim and vision with this company? Well, Safety FM is a radio station that's based around everything safety. So what we've done is actually create a radio station where we have different shows on that we talk about safety for people. So what it consists of is that you can come onto the radio station and we have different types of safety that we talk about. So you can come on, take a listen. Some people might talk about behavior-based safety. Some people might talk about lean safety. There's different aspects for everyone there. The vision was to create something that sounded more like a radio station than opposed to somebody giving you a lecture on, oh, this is what you need to do to be safe. We wanted to make it something where it could be fun and non-apologetic, depending on what you were listening to. And we have kind of a, a very wide range of shows and what, how we actually started. We wanted to make it from the aspect of you could have the everyday conversation with someone and then you could have the high level introduction to some of the things of safety of looking at some of the regulations. And then we even went as far where some of the audience members were asking for it that we actually did something called the Rated R Safety Show, which is kind of more of the direct approach that, you know, has has some naughty words in it is the way that I look at it um, for people to be able to talk about safety in a different form. Uh, interesting. So uh, I've noticed that you talk about the whole safety culture a lot. So um, for those of us who are not aware, what exactly is that safety culture? Well, normally when we start having a conversation with somebody and you go inside of an organization, they have a development inside of their operation on how they do things. So they're accustomed to doing X, Y, and Z. When I start talking about safety culture, safety is normally thought of as something separately opposed to it being blended in to the organization on how things are fluid. So what I normally tell people is opposed to using safety culture, really kind of boned it into the standard culture. So it's really just adapting what makes people safer into your normal everyday work habits. Right. So I know that you have a vast uh, expertise in this area and you have around, what, 20 plus years of experience. So uh, can you tell us what all these experiences translated to you in the long term and how has this developed you as a professional, all these experiences? Well, I guess the way that I look at it, it's it's a really interesting way to go because I think I landed inside of the safety world the same way that most people do, which is by accident. Something catastrophic happened inside of one of the workplaces that I was at. Um, we ended up having someone who died 
And that caused me to start focusing on safety. I really think that that was really the driver behind everything that I was doing. Um, at the time, I was actually inside of an organization where I was an operator. I did the operations side. I actually covered a pretty large territory where I would actually do the work. And after this death occurred inside of the organization, I was mostly focused on making sure that people made it back home. And I didn't really focus a lot on that before in regards of, hey, people need to be safe and so on. But as I looked at it more and more after this catastrophic event occurred, my career took a shift in regards of actually me focusing on what needed to be done for people to be safe. This led me down to different organizations such as the National Safety Council um, on learning how to becoming a driving instructor on making sure that people are safe. That also led me to go in and getting my PhD in industrial and organizational psychology because I was so intrigued on how to make sure that people were were safe, but I did not realize that all the things that I was doing at the time were leading me this down this one direction to becoming, I will say, quote unquote, a safety person. Right. So uh, rewinding a bit on psychology now, since you brought that up, uh, you got a PhD in psychology. So my question is, how did that come up all of a sudden that how were you motivated to study psychology? Well, the motivation to really a lot about it was what drives people. It's you have to have an, a common understanding on communication. I already had a degree in broadcasting at the time. So I really wanted to be able to take these deep dives with people and really understand on what makes them tick. What, how do you communicate effectively? Now I did do it from the standpoint on really kind of like the team gathering and having that understanding. Also the other side to the whole thing was my sister had a master's degree and industrial and organizational psychology. So of course, you know, you're always going to have some kind of competitive na nature with your sibling. So right. that was one of the other <laughs> portions behind it. Very interesting. So uh, with all these experiences and whatnot, you work with uh, various organizations to uh, provide your services. So what are the people you typically work with and what services do you actually provide to them? as a safety well, expert. Well, what ends up taking place is that something normally catastrophic happens inside of most organizations before I end up getting contacted. And when I go into the organizations, what they want to know is this new version of safety. They re refer to it as safety too. And what happens is that when you start having these conversations with people, it's just kind of different of not looking at people as they are the, the fault of most things occurring, because a lot of people want to do that automatically. So that's the whole side conversation of really not having that. And then to answer, I guess, really to answer one of your questions that you said there and the multiple portion there is that a lot of the people that I interact with are transportation companies. And I also deal with um, power plants quite a bit. But a lot of the stuff that I go in and talk to people about is I talk to them about something that we call the five principles of human and organizational performance. And the five principles are pretty simple. It's people make mistakes. Blame fixes nothing. Learning and improving is vital. Context drives behavior. And how you respond to failure matters. And those five simple principles there, if people start taking a look and say, besides that you can apply that to safety, you can also apply it to different aspects in, in your life. The, the funny part is right away is when you tell people that people make mistakes. And we all make mistakes daily. That's the interesting part. The thing is that some of your best workers inside of your organization just know how to cover it better. And 
the people that are normally newer inside of an organization are not as good as some of your people that have been there for a while. Right. So you mentioned that most of the companies you work with, uh, they contact you after a catastrophe has already happened. Do you right. think that this perspective should be changed, that companies should contact you before something goes wrong, not after something goes wrong? And I'm sure your answer is yes, it should be changed. But my main question would be how this perspective should be changed that companies should just uh, get a safety expert if not you then someone else before something bad happens not after well here's what happens because it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag is what ends up taking place you have to remember that people don't put a lot of focus on safety for people until something happens so that's why i'm normally not contacted until after the fact they don't think about i think about that prior to because they think that everything's safe inside of their organization so something has to happen for it to go, okay, trigger event, and this is going to cause to bring someone in to look at it. Because most company believes that believe that they're safe, at least as safe as they can be, before something major happens. Understood. Now, shifting the conversation to podcasting a bit, uh, you also have your own show, which is called The Jay Allen Show. Can you tell us what that show is all about? Well, the interesting thing is that I actually have a couple of shows. The The Jay Allen Show is really an interview show where we take some deep dives with different people in different industries. Most of it's related to safety, but we talk to other people as well. And it's really just a sit-down conversation and really understanding what drives people inside of where they're at. And what we tend to do there is we want to bring in people that want to talk about what they're doing inside of their world, some of it related to safety. Some of it, I like to bring in people that are subject matter experts in other fields just to talk about how we can use what they're doing to enhance things inside of the safety world. Because I think that sometimes we just don't have very good conversations on what's going on. And what I like to do personally is I want to know the story behind the story. I mean, it's easy to do an interview where people are telling you about how great their accolades are of, oh, I wrote 15 books and I'm a novelist and all this other stuff. But I want to know the story that happened behind that. What happened when you were writing the book? How was the relationship with your with your wife and kids during that time frame? Those are the things that I'm interested in. I'm, I'm always interested in the behind the scenes. Well, very interesting perspective. I'll keep in mind of that these things when I take my interviews next. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the tips, though. So, uh, you also like we had a small conversation before recording this, and you said you were uh, you are also an executive producer of a few shows. Uh, can you touch up a bit on that, on your production and how you produce the shows? Well, the way that I look at it is, I uh, I look at this as people do podcasts, and there's nothing wrong with podcasts. I mean, I love them. I think that they're a great way to reach people. You have the option of pausing, playing back, doing all these interesting stuff. When I started Safety FM, I decided that I wanted to take the whole radio approach and do radio and then convert those over to podcast. And so what I have done from the executive producer side is that I have actually turned in a lot of those podcasts that we're releasing and made them sound more like a radio show. So you can tell normally the difference in regards of sound quality when it comes to radio shows opposed to a standard podcast. There are some podcasts that are out there and it's just based on you know learning as you go that sit there and they might be in a room that's fully echoey or there might be in a room that the sound quality is not that great. 
where I, on the other hand, want to focus on sound quality and content on when the actual interviews are taking place or whatever the podcast might be about. So that's where I put a lot of my executive producer instincts towards. And what I want to look for as I'm creating these podcasts or producing the podcast is that I want to take it and do different things for the sound qualities to sound like a radio station would sound where it is essentially what we would call theater of the mind, where I can tell you a story as the listener and you can understand exactly what's going on. And I can go into these different levels opposed to it just sounding like I'm inside of somebody's kitchen doing a recording. This is actually very well said. Like I, I've listened to your shows and the production quality is amazing. And we can certainly see your production skills over there. Like uh, it certainly does sound like a radio show. Uh, a quick question that do you have any other podcasts uh, like except your own? Would you suggest, Would do you know of any other podcast which has like, you know, amazing production like yours? Like for me, uh, have you ever he- heard the No Sleep podcast? No, not uh, not off the top of my head, but I definitely will take a listen now that you mentioned it. Right. So uh, it's hosted by David Cummings and it's like it has one of the best sound production and voice actors I've ever seen. It's a horror podcast, so uh, not a lot of people really hear it, but I like to hear it before I sleep. And it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. It really puts you on your toes, and uh, it's 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 good for if you want to have nightmares. So well, yeah. no, I mean, I have to tell you, there's some really good podcasts that have come out as of late where they're storytellings, but they're almost feel like it almost feels like it's a movie. Exactly. That's going on as as you're actually going through it, and all you have is the headphones, and the way that they that sound quality has changed now because you don't have to just do left and right. I mean, now with Atmos, like Dolby Atmos, in into effect, you can actually do some really cool things with sound, where it even makes it sound like people are behind you, but it sounds that way with headphones only. If you're listening to it without the headphones, it does not work that way. So that's the that's the other portion you have to think about. Yeah, you're right. With the uh, No Sleep podcast, like uh, you can hear people, you know, footsteps, door creaks, every little thing. It's um, I feel like the sound quality is amazing. Uh, I try to learn a lot from that uh, quality of production. So I, I take a lot of inspiration from them. So back to the question, which was, what in your opinion is a show with really good uh, sound quality or production quality that you get inspired by? Oh, there's this one show, and of course, it's not coming to my head right now in regards of what the name of the show was. But it's actually, it was a show that, there was a TV show that was on that was called Mr. Robot, um, that used to air here in the U.S. Yeah, I loved it. I I watched it. It's amazing. so So he released a podcast, and his podcast is one of those podcasts where it actually turns around and they do all these things where it is it's produced like it's like a movie on how the sound is. It's it's Rami Melik, but let me remember what the name of the podcast is because that's what's going to drive me crazy because you're going to ask me that and I'm going to be like, I don't remember what this is. But I'm sure I can find it if I look real quick. I apologize. We're no problem. I'm better prepared for that. <laughs> and what was the show about? No, it, it, it's, what it's called, it's actually called Blackout. And it was a, it was an Apple, I think it was an Apple exclusive when it first came out. Right. And if you, if you just listen to the preview, the trailer itself, the way that the story is told. So it's, I mean, it's really interesting on how it works. And I mean, I don't really want to ruin the story. 
because I can I'm terrible at trying to tell people stuff without ruining it. Um, right. So I would recommend strongly if you t have a chance to take a listen to it. If you like that kind of storytelling, it's called Blackout, and it's by um, Rami Malek. It's for sure worth taking a listen to. You certainly got me excited about the show, and I'll definitely be looking into it after this interview. So. Uh, you have years of policy experience in transportation, retail, and logistics spheres. So with this, you know, you have been in the field for quite a long time. So what are some of your proudest work with companies or, you know, anything that you have done so far? Well, I, that's, the, that's the weird thing about what I do. The issue when it comes to the world of safety and helping out organizations is that I'll never have a way to prove it. I can't deem that I have assisted you in becoming safer because I was there. I can't tell you that things are better because I was there. Because if things are going well, the way you have to look at it is a couple of different ways. Some people will tell you automatically if you have no accidents, that means that things are perfect. Well, that's not the case. People just know how to hide accidents better. But at the end of the day, my work can never prove itself because... We don't know if we stopped an accident. We don't know if we stopped an incident. The way that I look at it is the only way that you can truly be successful is by building communication inside of an organization. And the way that that would work is by building what I call capacity or safeguards for that organization. So they can have minor failures inside of there where the system or the company or the organization can handle the failure opposed to something catastrophic happening and not being able to do it. Like you can take a look at it for using the example of like something dripping. The thing can drip and you can continue, can continue to clean it up, but that's not gonna solve the problem. You're gonna have to find a way to put a stopper on it for it to stop dripping. Until you do that, it's not gonna solve the problem. And those are the things you have to look at. I mean, the safeguard can be putting a bucket there, but what happens when the bucket overfills? So those are the things that I look at. So it's very difficult to say, how does success look in safety? Because some people, will, like I said, will tell you zero incidents is success. And I don't think that's necessarily true. That's what I was thinking all this time, that in your field, boring means good. Like if something <laughs> <laughs> if something happens, then that's bad. If, if nothing happens, then that's good. But, you know, I think then the... By what you said, the real success is when nothing happens and people aren't hiding anything, right? Well, the, the, th the thing that happens is that things are happening when nothing's happening. There's something going on inside of that system. I mean, think about it. If you have a car, there's wear and tear going on in your car, even though your car is not acting weird. Right. If you, ma if you maintain your car, you're perfectly fine as you're doing it because you're maintaining it. Now, if you don't maintain your car, when you're using it day in and day out, and you just let it go, well, then you're going to have some kind of failure inside of the car. So it's just as kind of the same way, the same way that you would actually travel from one place to another, you're going to gauge your gas meter, you're going to verify that you have enough fuel to get it from one place to another, you're not just going to say, okay, I'm going to take a risk and if it runs out of fuel, it runs out of fuel, because I don't care. It's, it's the gauging, it's the it's the preventative work of making sure that it doesn't fail because you're doing stuff with it. It's not allowing it to fail. It's doing stuff. And if it does fail, there's enough capability inside of, in this example, the car to make sure that you can make it to X to get it repaired. Uh, that's a very interesting analogy right there. So, 
you're certainly a very well-educated person. You have your doctorate and everything. So I'm pretty certain that you've read multiple books in your lifetime. So if you had to recommend a few books to everyone, what would it be? Well, it depends on what they're interested in. Here's the, here's the funny part, because a lot of people always get all hung up that I'm going to tell them automatically to read safety books. But I think that I can tell you, hey, read this book, but it might not be what you're interested in. So I normally, try to, I normally try to adapt to the person opposed to just saying, this is what I think the best stuff is out there. Because I like a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> and some people go, well, that's really far out there. But I think there's some pretty interesting things just depending on how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go. That's exactly what I was assuming that you'd recommend something safety-wise. But let right. me re rephrase the question for you. And that is, what are some books that you like so that our listeners can know what your taste is? Okay, so I'll tell you about a couple of them right off the top of my head. There's this one book that I read that's called Simple Revolutionary Acts. And it's by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Todd Conklin. And it's way to think differently to revolutionize the places that you work. That's one example. There's this other book that I read that I really like that's called My Big Toe. And it's my big theory of everything. And what it stands for is for what people, you know, if you take these different things that are out there in the world and you combine them together and take a look at all of them, and it's written from an astrophysicist. And if you take a, a look at these different compartments of life, on how the world really works from his perspective. And it's a pretty weird book. It reads almost like a textbook. So most people are not going to read it because of how it reads. And it's probably a good 1,200 pages. The the second book that you mentioned, that sounds actually very interesting to me. Uh, I, I, I like some weird things myself as well. So I, I'd like to look into that after. Um, is it available on Amazon? Uh, or yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's available on Amazon. Um, it's also available on Audible. It is by a gentleman by the name of Thomas W. Campbell. And it's a great book. I mean, it, it will make you think about things significantly differently. And when you take a read to it, it's, it's one of those books that's very eye-opening. And I always tell people, you have to read and think about some of the science behind things and take everything with a grain of salt. I mean... Things are not or only as real as you make them and your understanding of stuff. I won't say read a book and, you know, if you're re reading The Wizard of Oz, believe everything that's there because some people get confused on that. So I tell them, you know, read what you want and take away some understanding because there's some books that I've read that the first time I read them, I was like, this is a really terrible book. But then I'll go back and read it again or read a part of it and go, wow, that's really a lot more interesting than what I originally thought. And then maybe I'll just reread the whole thing. Now, I'll tell you, I really do have a bad habit of not wanting to read so much, but I love audiobooks. And then what I end up doing is I get an audiobook and then I'll end up getting the hardcover of the book because then I want to mark it all up after listening to the audio version. That's something you and I have in similarities because I always prefer the audiobooks as well. Uh, so I'll be getting the audiobook version and I'll actually be doing a book review as well for my blog. So <laughs> thanks for the idea. Well, Rafi, let me ask you something if you don't mind me asking. Sure. I know that you're supposed to be asking me questions, so I apologize. It's okay. What was the uh, What was the idea behind you creating a podcast? What was the thought when you decided to do this? I love it when my uh, guests turn into interviewers themselves. So uh, this is not I, this the first time. This is what I time. do for a living. You know this, right? Exactly. So I, I've had other podcasters here and they did the same thing to me. So I can tell you're a podcaster by this. So um, 
I started a podcast because I live in Dhaka, Bangladesh. So Bangladesh doesn't have any major podcast platforms. So I'm pretty much one of the first movers here and I am marketing it very broadly here. So it's gaining a lot of traction and I'm very happy with the response because podcasting is so new here. I know the market is quite saturated back in USA and UK or what, you know, in the western countries. But here is just getting started and uh we have a lot of big plans not not just with this show, we have a couple of shows on our own. So we have a big big uh you know, plans for podcasting in Bangladesh. So that's exciting. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned on how many podcasts start here in the western side of the world because the average currently pre-pandemic was about 4000 new podcast a week. The wow. Average pod, the average podcast only makes it to episode 14 because people or the host realize on how much work it actually takes. And some people believe and you know I'm not blaming anyone that it's going to be an overnight sensation, it's going to be the hottest podcast on, on the market and it takes a lot more work than what people think. So I'm glad that you I mean that you're kind of one of the first, you know, the first people doing it there because that's yeah. fantastic because then you kind of already know what you're doing, you're doing some different things, so it's always good to you know just because you're first doesn't mean that it's the best, but being first can help assist with others, which is yeah. I always think is an important part as well because you're going to be ahead of the market. Yeah, there are like not even five other podcasts in Dhaka apart from my one right now. So that's <sighs> nice. Yeah. So are you guys like grouped together? Do you guys do everything together or is it all just kind of separate entities within themselves? No, because we all understand the potential of the podcast uh, marketing over here, the industry. So we're all grouped together and we are planning some big things together. So that's nice. So what was the your personal goal for your podcast? Oh, my personal goal was to create a podcast where you know, um I connect with guests worldwide, industry experts and interesting people like yourself. It's not every day that I get to talk to a safety expert. In fact, in Bangladesh we don't even have a safety expert. <laughs> which like, what is, does that even mean? <laughs> exactly, which is a question that I'm going to ask you a bit later. So that was my goal for my podcast which was to, you know, connect with community worldwide and to discuss very interesting niche topics which people might not know if you go to my previous episodes you're going to see um episodes like the coca-cola heist where you know uh this dude tried to sell off the coca-cola formula to pepsi or episodes like the american airlines debacle you know the air pass thing so there's a lot of interesting episodes that i get into things like that sure. so turning the interview back to you now in dhaka we have like hundreds of business opening up every day and thousands of business operating this is actually one of the fastest growing cities in the world and there is absolutely no sense of safety in most businesses of course big corporations have a lot of safety rules and expertise but in general people like you know they are very low on budget the startup community is you know very diverse in taka so they don't have a lot of budget for a safety expert like as yourself so what would your suggestion be for startups who are low on budget well the way that i look at it is at least how i can compare it to what happens here like in the us or in canada is that normally the cost of one big safety failure will normally be the cost of most people's programs so you might have heard or you might know that in the US people get very 
suing happy, which means they'll take companies to court if something terrible happens. Yeah. So here in the U.S., what ends up taking place most of the time is that if you have a significant or a catastrophic event, most people's family, especially if there's a death, will try to turn around and sue the company. Or yeah. the company will actually have some mega insurance cost that they end up having to pay out. So That's right. what we ha what we have determined here is that most of the time, for what it's going to cost you to do one of those payouts, your program is pretty well established there. Now, how would it work in the country that you're in? That's going to be even a better question. Because right there, you almost have to look at it as that if safety is already built into the culture as the company is rolling, it's a lot easier because it's a point of focus as people are moving forward, opposed to it being one of those things where, oh, we have to have somebody separately that does safety. I think that if it's kind of built into the whole culture of the organization, you don't really have to have the standalone safety person because the safety person most of the time does not have power inside of an organization. They can just say, we can do this to be safe, but it's really the operations people that are in charge of the safety side. This person's normally just giving ideas on what can be done. Right. So the people here, they don't have a suing happy mentality like in US yet. But... Uh, <laughs> yet, I love it. Yet. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, we are taking learning from the Western lifestyle every day. So I'm sure that culture, <laughs> that culture will reach here as far as soon as sooner than we know. So it's good if Bangladesh implements safety culture, you know, throughout the country before that happens, or else it's bad news for all companies. Well, so, like I always tell people, the best thing to do is that if you take a look at like the UNICEF website, in regards on how you would have to adapt a culture in regards of trying to focus things and putting on safety. It's anything like UNICEF would show you in regards of understanding other people's cultures. If you start taking a look at that particular website, you can it can easily be actually inducted into your organization, depending on where you're at. Thank you for the very nice suggestion, actually, that that's widely available to anyone who wants to check out the UNICEF website. It's that simple. Right. So getting near to the end of the show now and i ask this question to all of my guests attending these days which is how has the quarantine period affected your workflow because i know that you as a safety expert you have to inspect a lot of sites organizations you know visit uh, in front and now with the quarantine people are actually working from home mostly so which means the safety expert you know, expertise is not needed as much as it would be needed when everybody was in office. So how has this all affected your business, your industry overall? Well, it's interesting that you asked that because at first, everybody did not know what to do because there was a lot of people being what we call here in the US laid off. So they were putting, they weren't being fired, but they couldn't go into work. They were being also furloughed. So they were still showing like they were part of the organization, but not working. So they could collect something called unemployment. So right. that kind of put kind of put a strange thing here in regards of businesses wanting people to come in and check out what was going on, which was totally understood. But what I have noticed as of late is that a lot of organizations are truly trying to teach their leadership and understanding this whole aspect of human and organizational performance or this version of safety. So they're actually putting a lot of focus on their leadership. So the trainings are still taking place but they're taking place via computer. And I'll tell you, if you're used to going somewhere and you're talking to several hundred people, a thousand people, so on, 
it becomes so different doing it via a computer than doing it in person. Because if you're in a room and you're teaching something and people ask questions, the conversation can change and go a totally different, different direction in regards of what you're training. When you're doing it via computer, you don't have that same feel. It's entirely different. It's almost like talking to yourself and by yourself inside of a room. So, you know, I do that for a living, so it doesn't become too difficult, but now I'm doing it in front of a camera. So it makes it much different in regards of trying to understand that. So it has changed the business a little bit, but there's still a lot of people requesting information. Now it's interesting on how it's done now. And if you're accustomed just to sitting there as a presenter, only being able to feed off the room to move forward, it makes it a lot more difficult. That's very interesting, the way that quarantine and pandemic has affected your business. So before we finish this, can you tell everyone where to find you in social media and anything else you might want to add? Oh, yes. I mean, if people are interested in finding out more about me, they can go to a, a, I have a couple different websites. They can either if they're interested in the radio station and the podcast, they can go to safetyfm.com. That's safetyfm.com. And then if they want to know about me personally and the work that I do, they can go to drjallen.com. And that is D-R-J-A-Y-A-L-L-E-N.com. Thank you very much, Dr. Allen. It's been a pleasure having you. I'll, of course, keep in touch with you, and I'm really excited to see all the new things that you come up with. Rafi, thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. We'll speak again soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. If you're interested in being a guest, go to my website and you'll find the process there. If you want me to discuss a certain topic, there's a suggestion form on the website as well. Hope you all like this episode. Peace.